The Nonprofit Hour, a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do-gooders, with interviews, profiles, and documentaries. This is the Nonprofit Hour program here on X-Ray FM. The show is brought to us by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. I'm Jason Dennington. Every year, Willamette Week's Give Guide awards the Skidmore Prize, which honors young nonprofit staff members who are nominated for demonstrating excellence, passion, and commitment to the work that they do every day on behalf of others. Every week throughout the end of the year, the Nonprofit Hour will be speaking with one of the Skidmore Prize winners about their work, as well as featuring interviews with several of the varied organizations participating in this year's Give Guide. In the second half of the show, we feature one organization participating in this year's Give Guide through a conversation recorded at one of our live events with Elizabeth Nye of Girls Inc. of the Pacific Northwest. They are an organization that was built on the foundation of over a century of history of girls clubs that has evolved to become a place that inspires girls ages 6 through 18 to be strong, smart, and bold with gender-specific educational programs that provide girls with the confidence and self-esteem to access a bright and economically independent future. First, we're gonna start out the show with Skidmore Prize winner Casey Block of College Possible with a listen to her speech at Give Guide's kickoff celebration at Revolution Hall, followed by her conversation with Phil Bussey. Our first winner is Casey Block. Paige Hill, Senior Program Coordinator at College Possible had this to say about Casey. Casey cares deeply about education and the Portland community and is taking a lot of steps to learn and grow so she can continue to give back. She attends conferences and webinars, seeks out mentorship, and creates long-term connections in the Portland educational landscape. She knows that making a better future for low-income students doesn't take one or two years, and she wants to be part of a long-term solution. Please welcome Casey and Andy from Grady Britain, who will present her award. I want to start by saying how honored I am to have been chosen as one of the Skidmore Prize winners and by thanking the staff at Willamette Week for bringing awareness to the important work so many local nonprofits are doing in our communities through the Give Guide. I also want to thank the staff at College Possible, starting with our leadership team. I am so grateful that I get to work alongside such driven, compassionate individuals, and I would not be here without your encouragement and support. The work that I get to be a part of at College Possible, supporting low-income students to and through college, would not be possible without the many AmeriCorps members that serve in our organization. I am inspired every day by the work you do to support our students. Finally, I want to thank our students, the commitment, determination, and courage that they exemplify every day are why I do this work. They deserve to fulfill their dream of earning a college degree, and I love getting to be a part of helping that dream become reality. The mission of our organization is to create more low-income college graduates and end the cycle of poverty for generations to come. I am a first-generation college graduate 
who grew up in a low-income family, and some of the challenges I experienced give me a personal connection to the journeys of our students as they work to navigate their way through the college process. My path to and through college wasn't perfect. Questions like, is this school a good fit for me, and can I be successful on this campus, were never a part of the conversation. The only question I ever felt I could ask was, is this school affordable? And I never dared dream outside of what felt financially responsible. There were challenges with financial aid and feelings like I didn't belong. But despite all of this, I am grateful for my education because I know it opened many doors for me, and I know that will be true for each of our students. I want our students to not only think about whether a school feels like a good fit, but understand that they deserve to find a place where they will be challenged to grow and succeed. I want them to be confident in their abilities to overcome challenges and in their sense of belonging on whatever campus they choose. I know a college degree can all too often seem impossible for some students, and I want to help those students realize that their dream of a college education is achievable and help them find the best path for a successful future. I am so grateful that College Possible allows me to be a part of this life-changing work. Thank you. Casey Block is the program coordinator for College Possible and one of the Skidmore Prize winners. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And, and so talk to me a little bit about College Possible. They, they, it's an organization that's been around in a few other cities, St. Mm-hmm. Paul, Milwaukee, uh, for, for a number of years, but Portland just for the past four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we are a nonprofit organization that focuses on college access and success. Um, we serve low-income students in six partner high schools in Portland and the surrounding area. And our mission really is just to create more low-income high school graduate, or sorry, low-income college graduates. Um, we really see that there is a, an opportunity gap there for students um, that do come from low-income families. So we really want to support those students and and make sure that they can get into college based on their drive and their talent, and not just um, how much money their families make. And and. At what age do you start working with the students? Because it's it's hard to pick someone up as a, in, their, in their senior year and get them across any barriers that there might be. Do you start working earlier? Yeah, we um, in College Possible start working with students in their junior year of high school. And and what what do you find in terms of? I know it's hard to make blanket statements, but what what do you find in terms of uh, attitudes towards college or towards the accessibility of college? Yeah, um, it is a little bit all across the board, um, but I think some students just, it was not really an option for them. Um, It wasn't something that, it's not something that they talk about a lot at home necessarily. This isn't for all students, obviously. Some students um, definitely want to go to college and they have always thought about it, but we definitely find students that just think that they can't afford it. Um, Definitely not thinking about good fit at all, just kind of thinking about like, well, where can I go, what can I pay for, and how can I just kind of get through this? Um, But yeah, it's it's oftentimes not really a conversation that's always had at home with our students. So um, we just try to make sure they understand that it is possible and that they can have options and find something that they really love. So as as program coordinator, what what sort of programs do you coordinate? (laughs) Um, So I 
right now, um, and kind of, I'm in charge of our ACT programming. So um, our students in their junior year take the ACT, um, and that's a big part of our programming. We do a lot of prep with our students. They take um, a total of four practice tests before they take the real ACT. Um, so that's something that I am really kind of taking the lead on. Um, I support coaches that work with juniors and seniors um, throughout that programming. But again, I am more of a lead on the junior programming right now um, and just helping students kind of get introduced to the college process. Um, and as well as family engagement is another piece that I've really started to take the lead on um, this year, um, figuring out ways that we can better engage our families in this process and make sure that they're more aware of the steps to get to college. And, and I mean, there's, there's both obviously the, the academic avenues that, that a student needs to go through, but then there's also just the financial support that a student needs. Mm -hmm. uh, how does College Possible get involved with providing uh, the financial support or, or turning pointing students towards the right resources? Um, that's a really great question. Um, we do provide some financial um, education for our students. We talk about financial aid and make sure students understand the differences between loans and grants. Um, we help our students apply to scholarships. That's part of our senior curriculum. Um, and we also just make sure students understand what it means to take on loans. And we try to advise them in terms of like what a good amount is to take out and just make sure that they're aware of the, de the decision that they're making. Um, but ultimately, it is the student's decision. It is their family's decision. And we just really encourage them to have those conversations and make sure um, that they have all of the information that they need to make an educated choice about what's best for them. Um, but our coaches are so dedicated to our students, and they really advocate on behalf of our students with colleges um, just to make sure that they are getting as much aid as possible and really helping our students advocate for themselves and make sure that they're finding those opportunities to apply to scholarships, apply to grants, um, and really just find the best fit school that's the most affordable school for them. And how did you get involved with College Possible? Um, I was serving a term as an AmeriCorps with an organization called Metropolitan Family Service, and I was working at Gresham High School, um, which is one of our partner high schools with College Possible. And I knew about College Possible just a little bit because there was another AmeriCorps member there. Um, and once my term was over, I, I did some other work still in education, working with um, students and um, just continue to learn more and more about College Possible just by being in the school and working with students and working in education. Um, and it really seemed to just the organization and its mission really spoke to me and it was something that I felt really passionate about. So um, a position happened to open up at the perfect time for me and I applied and luckily uh, I was brought on. So. And, and um, the, the Skidmore Prize, what, how did you, who nominated you or how did that come about? Yeah, um, so I'm actually not sure who all was involved in our office that nominated me, um, but I know it was definitely members of the leadership team that nominated me for the prize. Um, and I just found out once I got an email, um, I think from Nick letting me know that I had an interview coming up. So um, they didn't actually let me know that they nominated me until I was um, informed by Willamette Week. Um, but yeah, it was just a really great surprise and it was good to hear from my leadership team about um, 
you know, why they nominated me. A couple of people wrote me some recommendation letters. So that was really nice. Um, and we had been involved in the give guide. So, um, yeah, I think they just wanted to, to do something nice and, um, yeah, it was really great. Yeah. I mean, it must be a real, feel like a real vote of confidence. Yes. It was awesome. Um, connecting with, um, members of the team and just hearing, um, why they nominated me and also just like seeing what they wrote, um, was really great to see from um, people that I work with every day, but we don't normally like talk about those things. I mean, we say like, you're doing a great job and like really support each other, but um, this is definitely a lot more of that. And it was really great to hear and really great to see. And what 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 obligations are there as a, a Skidmore Prize winner? Are, are, are there, ob- do, you, do you have, to, you, you obviously, you, you uh, gave a speech and uh, is there anything else that, that's required of you? Um, just keeping up the good work? I guess just keeping up the good work. Um, I've been doing a few other things. Um, just, I think, like getting ready for, for the event, um, connecting with people through the Willamette Week. And I did another interview kind of talking about my path um, to finding college possible and why I do the work that I do. But, um, yeah, I think just continuing to, to do this work and really thinking about the future and how I can continue to do this work and serve my community and um, serve students and continue doing good. And and so uh, College Possible has about a 98% success rate mm-hmm. in terms of the students that you work with getting into college. That's, that's a high number. Yes, it is a high number. <laughs> and you have, uh, College Possible has been in Portland since 2012, which is not quite or just enough time for maybe the first group of students to be graduating from college not quite enough they might be juniors or seniors in college do you uh, stay in touch with some of the students that you've helped so we do have students in college and it's really exciting Uh, we are a newer program here in Portland a newer site Um, and a really cool part about College Possible that really drew me to the the organization because there are a lot of college access organizations out there um, is that we commit to our students and to serving our students until they graduate. So we definitely still keep in touch with our students. We have um, a whole college portion to our programming. Um, So they have a college coach that is connecting with them all the time and making sure that they are staying up on their financial aid and making sure that their classes are going well and renewing their FAFSA um, and just generally being there to support them and make sure that they do get their diploma. Um, So it's definitely something that we do. I um, personally, since I started, the students that I first started kind of connecting with are still in high school. Um, So I don't know any students personally um, as a program coordinator um, that I was working with that are now in college. Um, But we do keep in touch with them. We hear great stories all of the time. Um, Even our core members that served here and have gone on um, still keep in touch with their students, which is really great to see. They really do build a really strong relationship and really care about them. Casey Block is the program coordinator for Portland's chapter of College Possible and a Skidmore, Skidmore Prize winner. Uh, congratulations, and we have a song from you to take us out. Oh
Thanks to Skidmore Prize winner Casey Block for joining us on the show and giving us the opportunity to get to know about herself and her work a bit better. Each year, the Media Institute for Social Change offers a multi-week summertime intensive course for college students from across the country looking to become media producers. The summer documentary program takes the students through the entire process of creating audio and video documentaries from the nascent idea through planning and technical skill development until the completion of fully produced media pieces. Before moving on to our interview with Elizabeth Nye of Girls, Inc., we'd like to take a moment to feature the work of two of the 2016 graduates, Trisha Patterson and Rashad Saleh, by presenting their piece titled, Arion, Stepping to the Line. It's probably a good thing I'm not healthy, because if I go back on the court, it's going to be bad for everybody. <laughs> like, you, like you get back and... Oh, I just dominate on the court. Uh, I grew up in uh, East Palo Alto, California, which is a pretty rough neighborhood. But I was very grounded by my grandmother, so she didn't let me get in trouble. She was very strict. I uh, was a pretty good student, straight A. I did all the, the nerd stuff, they would have called it. Played sports a lot. Basketball became my main focus. And math, I loved math at the time. And then uh, transferred to Southern Oregon University. Some gymnasiums, the fans would call me Snoop Dogg because he's tall and skinny and I would wear braids. So every time I, like we played University of Oregon, and uh, every time I touched the ball, the crowd would raise their arms and say Snoop. And then whether I passed or shot it, they'd say Dog. A year after college, I had got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called scleroderma. Sclero means hardening and tightening. Derma means skin. So they call it that because that's when you recognize, that's when you can see something's wrong. Scleroderma is usually middle-aged women's disease is what they used to call it, but you're rare if you're a male, you're rare if you're in your early 20s, which I was, and then if you're African-American or East Indian, those are like your higher mortality rates. And so, as in hockey, it was the hat trick. The disease progressed to where I'm 6'6", and I dropped to 120 pounds. Had acid reflux, which makes it hard to eat. Uh, vitiligo, which is pigment loss. Um, oh, and you can see with my hands, uh, so the skin was tightening so much, I was, they were balling into a fist. I remember, you know, the first symptoms was I couldn't, couldn't uh, palm a basketball anymore. Uh, I couldn't hold a cup of coffee. Uh, my friends were calling me a ventriloquist. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was like, this couldn't move. And uh, I can't raise my arms because the shoulders got too tight. Can't stretch, can't straighten my arms because they got too tight. Two thousand twelve, I had a stem cell transplant. Now, a lot of patients have lung and hearts, so they get better. But my problem was the joints. I had already contracted so bad, a lot of ligament, scar tissue, and 
tendon damage, which is not autoimmune, of course, so they can't reverse that. Two days later, Thanksgiving morning, that's when I first noticed my skin started loosening. And I was like, oh snap, I can move my wrist. In June, I found the Daya Foundation and uh, wheelchair-based yoga, since I can't stand up or get to the ground easily. And they've been very accommodating. They have someone set aside to help me with a lot of the poses because uh, as you see with my limitations, I still can't do some of the basics alone. They extended a scholarship, so that was great. They have a normal exercise. One of us will come up with an idea of how I can still get that same stretch. They'll just adapt to my limitations and range of motion. I know that he is a very hard working man and, and very dedicated to, to trying to better his situation. That his, he's got such an amazing spirit. You know, I, I reach out to people in the community and just say, hey, this is my story. I was here, I was an athlete, got a degree in criminology, uh, was working in the field, and then I ended up in this situation. Now I'm trying to get back. No doctor can really tell me what to do because they've never seen it. I'm one of those people that you tell me something that as long as it's not a super high, you know, risk of death or injury, I'm in it. You know, I'll try a lot of things. Uh, I can't foresee the future because I don't know what it is, but I do know I'll be back working. Uh, every six or seven months, I need less help doing a lot of things. Every day I'm thinking about what I'm gonna do next as far as a year or two from now, like when I'm gonna get back to work. My whole 90% of the day, I'm just thinking about getting better and getting back to work. The biggest thing with a disease that can disable you is being active. And the people around you don't even want to be around. They don't want to see no one deteriorating and not trying to get better. Ariane, he is involved. He has that community of support. And so maybe when some of his friends and associates see um, the benefits that he's been able to derive from coming here, that maybe more people will come. I'll get to the point where maybe I can shoot free throws from a, a weird angle, but can still go out and play. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Nonprofit Hour from the Media Institute for Social Change on X-Ray FM. To become a supporting member of the Media Institute and find out more about their work, 
you can visit MediaMakingChange.org. Members receive annual benefits and support programs such as the Nonprofit Hour and the Summer Documentary Program. The Nonprofit Hour is also brought to you in part by generous support from Pacific Continental Bank and BusinessWorks. Find out more at therightbank.com or businessworkspdx.com. We also receive support from Living Room Realty, who are committed to living and doing business with meaning, and Ristretto Roasters, locally owned and small batch roasted since 2005. Four cafes in urban Portland and available at local markets and online. More info at rrpdx.com. Now we turn to Phil Bussey in conversation with Elizabeth Nye of Girls Inc. of the Pacific Northwest, one of the many great Portland organizations you can find out more about and help to support by going to giveguide.org. Phil Bussey, we are at the Waypost on North Williams with our monthly live recording of the Nonprofit Hour. Uh, I am pleased to be with Elizabeth Nye, who is the Executive Director of Girls, Inc. of the Pacific Northwest. Welcome. Thank you so much. And, and uh, Girls, Inc. of the Pacific Northwest, that, that implies this is part of a larger organization. You're right. We actually are an affiliate of Girls Incorporated, which, uh, funny enough, is the oldest girl-serving organization in the country. Our roots date back to 1864, um, and uh, for most of that time, we were known as Girls Clubs of America up until about the 1970s when uh, there were some shifting organizations at the time, and we decided to change our name to Girls Incorporated. And, and why can we roll back uh, 170 mm-hmm. years, and what, what was the impetus for uh, forming these Girls Clubs? Great question. It was actually part of the uh, industrial industrial revolution, there were lots of young people moving to factory towns to work in the factories, and the young men and boys uh, had places to go, whether they were, you know, productive places to go, that's another uh, story, but they went, you know, gambling, drinking halls, sports, etc. And the young women that were in these factory towns um, really didn't have an outlet. And so, uh, as the story goes, the uh, factory owner wives got together and created these girls clubs, which were essentially safe places to uh, be together uh, and to be supported while these young women were so far from home. And do you know the history of, of any of girl clubs uh, around that time in Portland? No. <laughs> uh, that's where our history uh, fast forward dramatically because we were founded here as a Girls Inc. affiliate in 2005. Uh, so we've only been operating uh, as a Girls Inc. for about 11 years now. And now, now the mission includes uh, girls to be, quote, strong, smart, and bold. Absolutely. Those are the three core words of our organization. So um, we, I have to take a step back, though, and say um, the full mission statement is inspiring girls to be strong, smart, and bold. Um, and the reason we say that is that we uh, fundamentally believe that every single girl actually already is strong, smart, and bold within her. Um, and it's our job to inspire them uh, to see that in themselves. The strong, the smart, and the bold for us line up to uh, major categories of programs that we work with our girls on. So uh, strong in our programming relates to everything a girl um, needs to be healthy, uh, whether that's uh, body image, um, substance abuse prevention, reproductive health, uh, stress reduction, you name it. So we have programming that addresses all of these things. 
SMART is very much focused on ensuring that the girls are achieving academically and preparing for future careers. Um, and finally, BOLD, uh, which is, um, I think, sometimes the hardest one uh, to wrap our heads around in our society for girls um, has to do with leadership uh, predominantly, but also personal development and life skills. Yeah, well, let's let's walk through some of these programs a little bit more if mm -hmm. you can. So, I mean, the, the BOLD is an interesting one. So somebody shows up at, at your doorstep mm -hmm. and, and they want to be bolder. How do, you, how do you teach them those skills? So... Um, the thing that I would say about that is um, all of our girls meet in after-school girls groups, uh, and the girls groups run at either schools or community centers, and they usually consist of um, ages, no more than two grade ages uh, together. Um, so the first thing that we're doing right off the bat is providing a safe and supportive place to be a girl. Um, and it's really establishing um, that place where a girl can truly uh, learn about herself, express herself, um, try new things, um, that's where that boldness starts to come into play, regardless of whatever, whatever program we're actually running at that time. Um, but then we also have a number of leadership programs that we do with the girls um, where you know, we may be talking about female role models that they've never heard of because we don't talk about them. So um, across the board, um, uh, the programming, the all-girl environment, and then finally we're putting um, really amazing women in front of the girls on a daily basis. So our girls groups are led by either a combination of staff um, and or volunteer facilitators who come from all walks of life. And it's being able to connect with these women and learn about their stories that, um, and the fact that these women care about these girls and show up um, every day to work with them um, says something to the girl about her value. And, and, and these are, most of these are, or many of these are long-term programs. I think I saw mm -hmm. one that you're accepting applications for the class of 2021. Yes. Um, so as um, you're mentioning our Eureka program, and Eureka is a phenomenal program. It's a five-year program that girls and their families uh, sign up for in between their seventh and eighth grade year. And um, ultimately, this program um, had been designed as a science, technology, engineering, math program because there are too few uh, women in these fields, particularly women of color. Um, so the program was designed to uh, bring women into STEM uh, fields and careers. Um, but um, at the end of the day, what we're really focused on is ensuring that these girls graduate from high school um, and have all of the options available to them to pr uh, pursue post-secondary careers. Uh, so in their very first year, we put them on a college campus for four weeks in the summer, uh, full-time. So they are there from nine to five. Uh, and then uh, the third summer, which we're entering into for one of our groups, um, do concentrated internships that are STEM-based. Um, and then the fourth and fifth summers, they spend um, either doing internships or preparing for their college application process. So, so I, I want to take just a step back. So who, is there a specific demographic that's, that's being drawn to Girls, Inc.? Yeah, so um, nationally, uh, we are focused on working uh, with girls who have fewer opportunities. Um, and when we started talking about, well, how do we name that, um, we were very careful to say um, that we are focused on girls who live in low-income communities, uh, but we are not focused on uh, low-income girls because we don't want that label to define them um, and what their future could hold for them. So uh, we do predominantly work um, at schools that are identified as Title I schools. 
Elizabeth and I is the executive director for Girls Inc. of the Pacific Northwest. This is the nonprofit hour. Uh, Elizabeth, you have you you asked your staff for some music suggestions. Uh, can you start us off with one? Uh, absolutely. Uh, so the first one that came to mind immediately um, when I asked my staff was Beyonce's Run the World. Um, we do a uh, program called Girls Council where uh, 15 girls apply and they're selected as our girl leadership council um, and they help us make decisions about our programming and um, really amazingly this year they piloted an initiative with the Peace Corps uh, called uh, Let Girls Learn that was being championed by Michelle Obama and um, our little tiny local affiliate here in Portland uh, basically is working with the Peace Corps to develop this program that will then be rolled out to girls across the country. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Let's take a listen to Beyonce. the nonprofit hour. This is Phil Bussey. I'm talking with Elizabeth Nye, the executive director for Girls Inc. of the Pacific Northwest. I want to talk a little bit, before the first music break, we were talking about uh, some of the general idea of the programs and the, the mission to help uh, girls find the skills to be strong, smart, and bold. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about how have things changed in the last 10 or 15 years? 
or, or have they changed in terms of how you deliver programs or uh, how girls are identifying mm -hmm. uh, themselves to their skills? Um, so a couple of things that I would say um, in terms of how we serve girls. Um, most Girls Inc. affiliates, when you look at them in other locations around the country, are center-based, which means that they are chartered for a specific county, let's say Monroe County, and girls from that county uh, come to that center every day after school for programming. Um, I think what we um, realized when we entered the Portland market just over 10 years ago was that um, girls who live in low-income communities exist throughout our metropolitan region area and that we um, were very um, concerned about picking a, one location um, and then excluding access for other girls. Um, so I think the fact that um, you know, poverty is everywhere um, is something that we're seeing. Uh, we're certainly not seeing it getting any better with uh, young children in our communities. Um, and so we've been really focused on developing what we call this go to the girl methodology of taking the programs wherever the girls are. Um, and then the other thing that I would say, um, two other things. One, I hear repeatedly from people, oh, girls are doing great. They're graduating from high school at higher rates. They're going to college. They are graduating at higher rates than boys, et cetera. Um, and the thing that I always um, want to remind people of is that this is not a competition between boys and girls, um, that we exist to ensure that, um, you know, that girls are getting what they need to be successful. Um, and then I also definitely, going back to the first issue, we see a huge divide. I mean, there are girls that are being left behind in our community. Um, and um, you know, by all accounts, um, girls are doing great in many ways, um, but there is a whole subsector of girls that aren't doing so well. And, and now your, your programs don't entirely focus on girls 6 to 18, but there's also mm -hmm. training for adults. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, so a few years ago, uh, we looked around our community and said, we live in a city that has a tremendous rate of volunteerism. Um, and I hate to say this, but um, the volunteers are overwhelmingly women. <laughs> um, and we were inundated with phone calls, and we really actually didn't know what to do with it. Um, all of these phone calls that we were getting, but we thought we cannot... Uh, waste this precious resource. So uh, we basically turned the Girls Inc. formula on its head. Uh, nationally, our model is professionally trained staff um, facilitators. And we said, you know, we're going to experiment with volunteer facilitators and see what we can make of it. So about uh, just a little over three years ago, we developed a um, volunteer training program. Um, and annually, right now, we are training up to 250 women a year to go out into our girls' groups and lead programming paired up um, in pairs of two. And, and uh, now that it's been in, in play for a couple of years, how is that working? I mean, is that old dogs, new tricks? I mean, are, or is, are people picking up on this? Is it going well? Uh, it's been phenomenal. I, you know, the thing that um, I have so many women who approach me and they're like, oh, I'm not sure if the girls are going to like me. Um, that kind of thing. And I, you know, we, we can rest assured that once you get in front of the girls, they are just so excited to have somebody there that cares about them and is in the group and showing up every week. Uh, so we have women, we've had women in their 80s and we've had, you know, college students, the whole span. Um, and they each bring um, their own life perspectives and ways of interacting with the girls. So it's been, from our experience, a very rich um, opportunity for our girls to connect with women across the community. Um, and I hear constantly the women saying, I mean, this is verbatim, I hear it every single day, uh, I wish there had been a Girls Inc. when I was a kid. 
um, you know, the, the programming that they are working with the girls through, I hear it over and over again. They're like, I'm going to go home and do this for myself. And, and, and most of the, the, uh, the girls that you're working with, I mean, you, again, you're working with for not just dropping in for a week, but this is long, long term. And yeah. So typically what happens, uh, we'll be at a school and we'll do an after school girls group uh, for the academic year. So we'll do a fall term, winter term, spring term, um, and the girls can sign up on a term by term basis, but they usually you know, come back each term. Um, and so um, over the course of the school year, we are working with them consistently. And I'm curious where transgender youth fall into your programs. Mm -hmm. I mean, surely there, there's been some discussion about providing services and, and where that falls in, especially with an organization called Girls Inc. Absolutely. Um, so our board uh, years ago uh, voted on a policy that basically stated that any child who identifies as a girl is welcome in Girls Inc. programming. Um, and we continue to try to um, ensure that we have inclusive spaces um, for all girls. This is the Nonprofit Hour. I am talking with Elizabeth Nye, who is Executive Director of Girls, Inc. of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, again, you, you talked to your staff and you had some uh, really fun song suggestions. How about a, another one? Oh, uh, so we picked um, Sarah Bareilles' Brave, um, very popular amongst the girls. Um, and also, uh, when I think about this song, I think about the fact that um, it's about finding your voice and about using your voice and being brave enough to do so, sort of that bold uh, that we work with our girls on. Um, and it, um, in my mind, speaks to another element of Girls, Inc. that we haven't touched upon yet, which is our advocacy focus as well. Um, we firmly believe that it is important for girls to use their voices on issues that matter to them. And so uh, we do lots of different um, trainings in our programming that uh, situate girls to do that. Let's take a listen.
That was a song that was probably very familiar to many of you who have kids. <laughs> uh, this is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Hour. I'm talking to you, Elizabeth Nye, the Executive Director for Girls, Inc. of the Pacific Northwest. Now, now, your own background, your professional background is very interesting. You're a graduate of Georgetown University School of Foreign Service. You worked on international campaigns, uh, many which seem to focus on health issues, malaria, prevention, clean water, HIV, AIDS prevention mm -hmm. in the developing world. How do those skills, how are those translating into what you're doing now? Uh, great question. So I grew up here in Portland and I attended an all-girls high school. Uh, and uh, when I you know, launched out into the world, I was definitely focused on getting out of Portland. <laughs> so I went as far away as I could to Washington, D.C., where I uh, focused on international relations. And you know, once I graduated, went straight out into working in D.C. and with a nonprofit that was focused uh, at the time in Africa, um, always what was driving me were sort of four key things, women, children, health, and education. So anything that I uh, sort of pursued had to have some combination of those four factors. Um, and, you know, fast forward, when I got my master's degree um, and went into the pharmaceutical industry, uh, was working on HIV AIDS, as you mentioned, um, but there was something that was calling me and my family home. So when we got back here, uh, you know, I, I looked at the sector and I said, you know, I think youth and education are the two key things that I see uh, most prevalent in terms of needs here in the Portland area, and so jumped right in. And, and growing up or, or, or during your early professional career, did you have any role models or mentors? I did, um, and this is not unique. Every single woman that I talked to throughout the almost seven years I've been at Girls Inc. Uh, will, when asked that question, talk about their mother, um, and, which I think is really telling um, in a lot of ways. Um, in my case, I point to three women who, in my you know upbringing, personified the strong, smart, bold um, in terms of my grandmother, my mother, and then my mother's best friend, um, all of whom taught me what it means uh, to inhibit all of those qualities. And, and uh, during the last... 10 years or so, I mean, what impact have you seen women like, public figures like Michelle Obama, mm -hmm. uh, Hillary Clinton play? I mean, obviously, uh, both those women really uh, embody strong, smart, bold. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll use my own daughter as an example. Both I have an 11-year-old um, and a 13-year-old, both of whom have been in Girls Inc. programming for at least the last five years. Um, and, you know, regardless of um, politics or, you know, what side of the aisle you stand on, um, my younger daughter is so excited about a woman running for president at this level um, that uh, she pretty much has signed us up to volunteer for the campaign. <laughs> um, and I think that, again, uh, seeing, because the girls get it. I mean, they look at pictures, they see the media, they get all of the messages that are being sent to them, whether they were intentional or not. Um, and when you see these small examples of women rising to the top, it means a lot to them. You know, I mean, I grew up in the 70s and there was this whole feeling of, oh, a woman could be president, but it was like, okay, well, how long is that gonna take? Um, and so I think that um, the more our girls see women in positions of leadership, the more it communicates that that's where they belong. And, and, and just to round out our discussion, you talked a little bit about the advocacy programs or the advocacy training that you do. Can you expand on that a little bit? Um, absolutely. So um, I would say that um, there are a couple of 
uh, core things that we do, specifically with our girls' council, um, where we train them to be ambassadors and uh, leaders for the organization, um, teach them about public speaking, uh, these sorts of things, uh, so that they are situated to uh, speak on behalf of issues that girls face. And on, an example that I would give on that, um, a few years ago, uh, there was a um, healthy teen, um, healthy sexuality legislation being uh, discussed in committee down at the Oregon legislature. And we got a call saying, can your girls come and talk about, you know, the issues they face? Uh, and it was a holiday weekend, of course. So uh, we were, you know, sort of scrambling to find um, a couple of girls that would be available. We got them in the car and we were driving down to Salem. And within minutes, at least two of the girls um, had, and these were seventh grade girls, um, had experiences of uh, dating violence already at school. And, uh, and we didn't pick these girls knowing this, but they got in front of the committee and, and shared their stories about uh, what it was like to be harassed uh, at school sexually. And um, it was very interesting because the committee had three men and three women, and the man who was in charge of the committee leaned down to the girls and said, thank you so much for coming and sharing your stories, but this legislation doesn't have a chance of passing. At which point, one of the women on the committee said, whoa, hold on, I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, and it sort of galvanized them to push it forward. And a week later, we were in the governor's office signing that legislation. That's a great story. Yeah. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Um, and applauses applauses <laughs> is appropriate. Um, Elizabeth, thank you for all the work you do. Thank you for showing up today. And, and one more song to take us out. Yeah, so we chose uh, Rachel Platten's uh, fight song. Um, we have been partnering with the Women's Foundation of Oregon, um, who's in the process right now of uh, wrapping up a very comprehensive research report on the status of women, uh, status of women and girls in Oregon. And um, the reason I, we picked this song is that um, the fact that the girls have to fight, you know, there continue to be issues that um, hold them back and prevent them from reaching um, their full potential. Uh, is something that um, we'd like to call attention to and ask everybody to look for this report in September when it's published. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And Girls Inc. of the Pacific Northwest uh, can be found, obviously, online. Yep. Elizabeth Nye is the Executive Director. This has been the Nonprofit Hour. Thank you so much. Thanks. Like a small boat on the ocean Sending big waves like how a single word can make a heart open I might only have one match, but I can make an explosion And all those things I didn't say were wrecking balls inside my brain I will scream loud tonight, can you hear my voice this time? This is my fight
now come to the end of this week's Nonprofit Hour show. We'd like to encourage everybody listening sometime now through the end of the year to find out more about the many great organizations that are doing fantastic work in our city by going to giveguide.org and researching some of these organizations and giving them some of your support. The show has been produced and edited by myself, Jason Dennington, and is recorded at the production studios of X-Ray FM. You can follow us on Facebook or via our Twitter handle at Nonprofit Hour and find archives of past shows on our SoundCloud page or free podcasts on the Apple iTunes Store. If you'd like to make a comment or suggestion about an organization we should profile on a future show, please send an email to nph at mediamakingchange.org. We'd like to thank our guests on the show this week, Casey Block of College Possible and Elizabeth Nye of Girls, Inc. of the Pacific Northwest, both organizations that are represented in this year's Give Guide. We'd also like to thank our 2016 Summer Documentary Program graduates, Trisha Patterson and Rashad Salah, 
for their audio documentary, as well as the Media Institute for Social Change, our host Phil Bussey, X-Ray FM, and you, our regular listeners. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you have a great week. Join us again next week at 6 a.m. Monday or 1 p.m. on Tuesday for the Nonprofit Hour Show.